Amen. You can have a seat. You can have a seat. My name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here. And you may notice this beautiful mug I have with me. Uh, you know, there's nothing better than on a rainy day just having a warm beverage and with a, with a, you know, in a mug. And this mug, uh, if you can see, it has a picture of Pastor Marshall's face on it. And uh, he absolutely hates it when I'm on stage with this mug. Hates it. But he's not here this morning because they're on the connection retreat. So... Uh, that was my subtle way of saying, hey, we did a connection retreat this weekend. Uh, Marshall was involved. Julie Casey was involved. We're going to do him again. Um, but yeah, I, he's going to hate this, and I'm already regretting saying it. But so yeah, just keep in mind, we had a connection retreat this weekend, and I tried to burn Marshall, and he's going to not like that. All right. Well, good morning. Uh, I recently just bought... Uh, a subscription to Masterclass, like, you know, the commercials where it's like Aaron Sorkin teaches how to write, you know, uh, Helen Mirren teaches how to act. I don't know why. I, it was like an impulse. I was like, awesome. So I bought it, and I've been watching this advertising agency one. And do you remember that if it was anyone in here alive in the early 2000s? The aughts, I think, as they call it. Does any, anyone in here alive during that time period? Okay, everyone in here is like six. Great. All right. Well, anyway, in the aughts, if you were alive in the aughts, you definitely remember there were two words. It was a massive advertising campaign. Two words. I'm going to say it. You're like, yeah, I remember that. Right, okay, ready? Got milk. Remember that? Yeah. Okay, so the, the folks that brought us Got Milk, they were teaching a class on how to advertise. It was fascinating, right? So for years, this department, this government agency in California was like, we need people to drink more milk. They need to drink more milk. So they would like have, they would hire beautiful people and they'd be drinking milk, right? And like that didn't work. They would like have full page ads and magazines like, if you don't drink milk, all these things will happen to you, right? And well, that didn't work. And then, hey, if you drink milk, all these things will happen to you. That didn't work. So finally, these two folks from this advertising agency got together and they said, we have an idea. And so they hired a then no, unknown director uh, by the name of Michael Bay, all right? And some of you may know him from his terrible work, The Transformers. Those are bad movies, all right? We can just admit that. But anyway, he is a genius commercial. There's a guy, and he's sitting alone in this giant apartment, and he is making a peanut butter sandwich. And it's like a, a ton of peanut butter on it. He's folding it all in. He's folding it together. And it, the camera zooms out, and you see he's living in like an Aaron Burr museum. And there's like the bullet. It says the bullet. And you're like, who's Aaron Burr? Hang on. It's the bullet. It's like outfits, paintings, all that. And then the phone rings, and it's this radio challenge. And they say, hello. And he said, hello. And he said, because he just took a bite of that peanut butter sandwich. And they say, for $10,000, who shot Alexander Hamilton? Right? And if anyone would know, it's this guy. Right? What a lucky day. So he says, Aaron Burr. I'm sorry, sir. What? It's Aaron Burr. It's Aaron Burr. And you know, it's starting to panic. It's showing all these Aaron Burr, Alexander Hamilton things throughout his apartment. And he's, and he's scrambling. Like, sir, you have three seconds to answer it. Aaron Burr. And he grabs a carton of milk and he dumps it into his glass and it's empty. And then it goes, got milk? And it took off like wildfire. And this is what those, the advertising agency said. Nobody, nobody ever drank milk because you told them it was good for them. You had to paint a picture of a world without milk. Got milk? 
right? And so they, I mean, they did this. They showed like, you know, there's nothing worse in the world than you've got your favorite cereal, right? Cocoa Krispies, all right? You've got a bowl of that. You open up the fridge. I'm a 35-year-old who eats like an 11-year-old, I know. But you open up the fridge and there's no milk. Oh, got milk. It worked, right? That It went viral before the internet. It was fantastic. And I was thinking, man, what? That's genius. What if we applied that to the Bible, right? Like, what would that look like? Like, how would we think about what's a world like with no Bible? And it's like, that's weird and apocalyptic. I started talking about it, thinking about it with friends, though, and this real, like, oh my gosh, moment came to me. All of us live in a world where we face an onslaught of pressures that we have not been trained to handle. All of us live in a world where we didn't make the rules. All right? Just stuff comes at us and it's relentless. All right? We don't get hit with all these anxiety-inducing and depressing things on our good days, right? It's not like, oh, man, they've, they've, they paid their dues. Give them a break. Now we'll hit on someone else who's having a good day and they can handle it. No, it's just like life happens. It comes at us. And no one was really helping us go through these things. Right? So, like, no, I don't remember a class in high school of, like, hey, when you become an adult and your parents age, they're going to get weird, and your siblings are going to fight over their inheritance. Right? Who's, who's teaching us how to navigate these things? We, it just comes at us. No one teaches you about, hey, like, uh, you know, the other day, my five-year-old, Jet, we were talking, right? And we're just, like, hanging out in the kitchen. And I, in passing, made a comment, well, you know, Dad's going to die. And I just, like, kind of keep going with the dishes. And, and then I look up, and he's just like... I'm like, oh, oh yeah, that may not have been appropriate for his little heart. Like, yeah, I don't want to shelter him, but I don't want to like uh, drown him. And oh my gosh, that, who's, who's helping me navigate this, right? It would be really nice and wonderful if I had like a mentor, someone walking through like, hey, there's a lot of stuff they don't give you a training manual through. And what happens is when you don't know how to handle it, you get anxiety, you get depressed. It's hard, right? Because it's not just the stuff that's coming at us. It's also the stuff that's gone on before us. There's an old quote that says, everybody before they die should learn at least what it was they're running from and what it is they're running to. We all have stuff going on beneath the surface that we're trying to get away from. All right? Anxiety does not say, oh man, you've really had a hard day. We're going to, you know what? Your employee gaslighting you, let's wait off for a better day till you're a little stronger, right? Oh man, it really seems like you're kind of wrestling through depression. Let's just wait for your roommate to really start hating you. Let's just, this isn't a good time for that. Let's just hold off on that. It's this unending onslaught of things we had no training for how to navigate. We were given some principles, right? But like, how do we navigate these moments? Feels like we're on our own. And it hit me. What's worse than a world without milk, as bad as that is, is a world where people don't meditate on Scripture. Now, hang on. I don't like how that sounds. Wait, what? Your pastor? No, no, no. It sounds like I'm offering a silver bullet. Is life hard? Grab a Bible. All right? Never be hard again. Nailed it. Do you have anxiety? Just throw a couple John 3.16s at it and we'll see you in the morning. I am not saying that. I am not saying that. All right? I am not saying that, hey, if life has hit you in the teeth... Just plop open your Bible and everything will be okay. All right? I'm not saying that. 
This is not a magical book. All right? You will not plop it open and find, man, I'm really having a hard time navigating aging parents. Oh, here's this. Jeremiah 21.6 talks about aging parents. Isn't that one? That was convenient. This is not a magical book. We can complicate it a little further. This is a very difficult book to understand. All right? This book was not written with 21st century uh, literary values in mind. All right? They communicate information differently than how I would communicate information. Okay? Let me just give you a small example. All right, Genesis 1, regardless of your take on the creation account, whether you believe there were six 24-hour, literal 24-hour days, or you believe there were ages, okay, not much detail is given about either of those. All right, if it is six 24-hour days, day one, right, that took 24 hours. You can read the two verses that talk about day one in like 20 seconds. It's a lot of detail missing. For much of my life, I had just wished, man, like, the Bible says that Jesus came at the fullness of time. I don't think that's right. Like, I think it would have been better if he came when the camera was invented, because then I could watch the movie of this, right? I could just stream this on Netflix, right? And I would get way more information, and then, oh, that's what that means. Oh, that's way clearer. I like this. This is easy, all right? But it's not. It's a book. And when was the last time you read a book? All right, to kill a mockingbird? I just found out high schools don't read that anymore. It's just like, you know, there's no, we're not all reading the same books anymore. So we can't all complain. But anyway, the Bible is a book written to people that it's written in a way different way than you and I think. And it takes a lot of work and it's confusing and we get lost in it. And you're telling me that that, I just need to spend more time in this and that's going to help me with anxiety and living in this wild world that doesn't work the way it should. Yes. Now, before you cash out and go, well, this is either wildly unhelpful or whatever, I just want to just let me make a case for this, all right? I deeply believe, I am deeply convinced that if we meditate on what the Bible is, what it says, and what it does, we have a wild experience. If we meditate, focus our attention on, think about, dwell on what the Bible is, what the Bible says, and then what it does, that can change everything. It is not going to change our circumstances. All right? If we're people who meditate on Scripture, that doesn't mean mom and dad all of a sudden stopped aging or got nice. All right? That's not what I'm saying. It doesn't change our circumstances. But I'm deeply convinced that when we meditate on Scripture, what it is, what it says, and what it does, we have an encounter with the living God. This book is not magical, but it is alive. And God has so orchestrated the world that when we meditate on this book, we meet him. Now, I am what folks call a Bible nerd. So we are going to, over the next several months, go deep into this, the opening chapters of the book of Genesis. That's what this is all about, all right? Because I'm deeply convinced that if we just start meditating on it, thinking about it, it's going to blow you away. 
All right, like just like we had that What is the Bible series and it was a worship service. Hey, I just want to, this just, and there may not even be application. We just want to say, wow, God is awesome and this book is awesome. Like I have gone through, we're going to talk about this throughout the series. I've gone through several levels of what they call deconstruction. We're like, man, I don't know if this is true. I don't know what to believe. And then the, the building you're standing in collapses. All right. And I have come back on the other side like, I deeply trust this book. All right. And so what, what my conviction and my commitment is, is that I think that if we can start to see how this book is confusing, it does not speak to, to the direct moments we live in, right? There's nothing in this book about how to help aging parents. There's nothing in this book about should you take that job or not. But if we hold our questions with open hands and allow ourselves to get lost in this book and become people who meditate on this book, we will fundamentally have an experience that changes us. Meditating on this book is how, is a, a fundamental way we meet the living God. And, and his desire is for fellowship with all of us. Right? We're going to look at a passage of scripture that is, is, is showing us, inviting us into a life of meditation. A life of mindfulness. A life of just letting this book reverberate or getting lost, being curious, discovering. We're, we're, we are being invited into that, and the fruit of that, the fruit of that is that we receive life, and we both are able to now be people who give life. When we dwell with God, when we dwell with God, He rubs off on us. That's amazing. When we dwell with God, we become like Him. So many of us have a view of Scripture that this is, this is the textbook and a final exam is coming, all right? And so you better cram and you better know everything and you can't let anybody know that you're not really too sure who Melchizedek is and what's Nabal and I, I don't know, right? And what's 2 Corinthians all about? I got to really look like I know everything that's going on. If we can for a second just let that all hang out in the parking lot for a minute, and if we start to just let ourselves get lost in this book, I'm deeply convinced we meet the living God. So we're going to look at a passage that is meditating on the early chapters of Genesis. I said this, we're heading into Genesis, but we're not going to Genesis. All right? We're going to set the stage for this because this passage shows everything that we've been talking about. How to meditate, what happens when we meditate, why we should meditate. And then we're going to talk about what does it look like to be a people who meditate on Scripture. All right? And if you're uncomfortable with that word meditation, I get it. I totally get it, right? It's like, wait, what, is it, what, is, what, what are we being invited into? Meditation. What is that, right? Is this like secular meditation? Is this like Hindu meditation? Is this like Buddhist meditation? What's happening here? Okay? I just want to say up front, I am no expert on either secular meditation, Buddhist meditation, Hindu. I'm not an expert on any of those things. I tried to like expose myself as much as I could leading up to this series. And I was like, man, I really don't know anything about anything, right? So if you're like, man, meditation, what is that? All right? Let me just, let me just in a judgment-free way, just invite you into this. There's a, there's a professor at MIT. For many years, he taught, he was a secular person, and he taught meditation in the Massachusetts State Prison. 
Now, growing up in New Hampshire, that just, that were those words, Massachusetts State Prison, just, whoo, makes me shudder, right? In New Hampshire, we had nicknames for people in Massachusetts, and they weren't very nice. I can't imagine what the Massachusetts State Prison is like. That's probably an awful place. This is stuff nightmares are made out of, Ooh, right? This guy taught meditation to people who, like, were the worst of the worst, all right? People who were bad news bears, all right? And what did he teach them how to do? He taught them how to focus on their breath. He taught them how to pay attention to what their body feels, what their mind is thinking. Just being mindful of those things, okay? And he described his experience doing that for many years. He said this, it was like giving someone who had just walked through the desert a glass of water. You could just see life come back to these people. Now, if that is what happens when we just think about our breathing... When we think about what our body is feeling and we just think about what we're thinking, if that happens, imagine what happens when we focus our energy and attention on what the one true living God says. Imagine when we focus our attention and energy on what the Bible is, what the Bible says, and what the Bible does. Right? If, if, it, if just thinking about our breathing is like giving someone a glass of water who's just walked through the desert, what's it like when we think about what the living God says? All right? Psalm chapter 1. That's where we're going to be. I'm going to set up Psalm chapter 1 a little bit for you, okay? Psalm chapter 1. The Hebrew Bible, which is the, uh, another way of saying the Old Testament, many people call it the Tanakh. Can you say that? Tanakh. Okay, Tanakh. Can you say that? Tanakh. Great. All right, the Tanakh, it, it, okay, the T in Tanakh stands for Torah, okay? The N stands for Navim, and this, the K stands for Katuvim, okay? The law, the prophets, and the writings. That's how the Hebrew Bible is grouped together. The Hebrew Bible order is different than our Old Testament, okay? So the beginning of each one of those sections, and that's how Jesus talks about it, by the way, the beginning of each one of those sections starts with a meditation on God's Word. In Genesis chapter 1, God speaks ten times and makes everything. In Joshua, that's the start of the prophets, there's this invitation to, hey, whatever's happening around you, just trust in God's Word. And then in Psalm chapter 1, we get the nugget, right? In Psalm chapter 1, the temple was destroyed, okay? These people had the place where they were supposed to go to live and be with God is gone, all right? Talk about an anxiety-inducing and depressing place, right? We're supposed to be the people who we show the world what it's like to connect with God. Where do we go to connect with God? The temple. What happened to the temple? It got destroyed, all right? How do we know that? Psalm 137 is a sublime song, all right? And anybody who's my age, you're welcome. But it goes, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat and we wept as we remembered Zion, okay? Now, this was a scroll, and within that scroll, there's some writings from Moses, there's some writings from David, but there's a psalm in there that talks about Jerusalem getting destroyed and then everyone going and living in Babylon. That's what Psalm 137 is about, which means that the book of Psalms was put together after that event happened, okay? So, the temple gets destroyed, and now these people are in exile, okay? And the writings that they're supposed to, to, to help them navigate through that anxiety-inducing, that depressing world, where's God? It opens with a meditation on God's Word. 
Meaning, the place you used to go to dwell with God is gone, but you can dwell with him through this book. That's Psalm 1. It's saying, hey, it's dark, it's scary, but the story ain't over. He's not abandoned you. He is here, and you can experience him as you meditate on this book. So, Psalm chapter 1 is where we are. If you would, please stand with me as we read God's Word. Psalm chapter 1. Here we go. Blessed, blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is delight, joy, is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree, not like a sunflower, not like, not like a daisy, a tree, all right? That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, they prosper. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind... (laughs) Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we want to experience your presence. We want to dwell with you. We don't want to live in a world without milk, and we certainly don't want to live in a world without you. God, the invitation to meditate on your word is an invitation to be with you. It's an invitation to relationship. Father, I pray that you'd rescue us from the ideas we have about what it means to be people who meditate on your word, and that we really would experience you as we, as we spend our lives giving our attention to your word. Ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. You can have a seat. All right. This series is called Primary Colors because I'm told that you can make any color from the three primary colors. I didn't actually know that was controversial, so I started Googling things about this series. I'm like, these are primary... But as far as I know, as, you know, there's some like wild theories out there about what color really is, but like as mainstream folks and our very simpleton understanding of color, you can make every color with, what are they? Red, yellow, and blue. That's right. The three primary, you can mix, you know, red and yellow and get, and then you can mix orange and blue and get something else, right? You can just, you, you take these color palettes and you can just make all kinds of things. That's how the Hebrew Bible is. The, on the opening pages of Scripture, almost every theme that's gone throughout the rest of the Bible is introduced in Genesis 1 through 3. And what we see is that the biblical authors are meditating on these early chapters of Scripture. Then they go into their world that they live in, and they just start applying the early chapters of Genesis into the world that they live in. And the result is beauty, and it's amazing, and it's an invitation to dwell with God. All right? And that's where we're going over the next couple of months. We're going to spend some time in Genesis 1 through 3. We're going to, like, set the stage for that, explain what that looks like. Then we're going to bounce from there into, like, Romans, right? We're going to be like, hey, here's how Paul, here's how Genesis 1 through 3 is bleeding into, like, what Paul's saying. We're going to spend some time in Genesis 1 through 3. Then we're going to be like, whoa, look at, this is what Proverbs is all about. You're like, whoa. And it's going to just fill out this depth. And you're going to see the Bible is so beautiful. 
right? It's a story that's so interconnected, and you're like, man, the God of Scripture must be awesome if this is how great his book is. Psalm 1 is just like that. The author of Psalm 1 is painting a picture using the primary colors of Genesis 1 through 3. And they're describing how do you trust God, how do you live with God, how do you experience God in a world where it doesn't seem to work the way God wanted it to, all right? How do you trust God? How do you experience his presence in a world that seems broken beyond repair? How do you experience God's presence when your kids, after you just love on them and pour into them, abandoned you? That doesn't seem like that is how God created the world to be. How do we experience God's presence? Well, Psalm 1 provides an answer by meditating on Genesis 1 through 3. Now listen to some of the echoes that are, that are here, okay? The echoes of Genesis. This is Psalm 1. Listen to it again. Ready? Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked. Okay, we're going to pause there for a second. Psalm 1 opens with this invitation to a blessed life. Hey, if you want to be in this blessed state... Here's how you do it. Now, when was the last time people were talked about being a blessed state? Genesis 1. God creates people and he blesses them and says to them, be fruitful and increase in numbers. So Psalm 1 invites us to a blessed state. Genesis 1 describes a blessed state. All right? Psalm 1, it keeps going, right? If a person who meditates on Scripture, what are they like? A tree planted by streams of water. Okay? God creates everything. He, planted, he makes a garden. And what does he put in the middle of that garden? A tree. And what are all these things that flow out of that garden? Rivers, right? Genesis 2.10. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. All right? There's all these echoes. The biblical author is just, his mind is being soaked and saturated. And it's like, man, here's how, this is, this is describing where God and humanity live together. Now we live in a world that, oh, this isn't happening. So he's describing that world. Hey, this is, we can get back there. We can get back to living and dwelling with God. All right? The Hebrew Bible shaped reality for Jesus. The Hebrew Bible shaped reality for Moses, all right? And the invitation for us is how can we be people who meditate on Scripture and then let that shape reality for us? Not as a silver bullet, but helping us navigate a world that is sometimes a nightmare. And this is what Psalm 1 says right out of the bat, right? If, if we meditate on Scripture, we're like a tree planted by a stream of water, all right, if we meditate on Scripture, we have an Edenic experience. It's like Eden. All right, so if we meditate on Scripture, it's like the place where God and humanity live together. If we meditate on Scripture, we live where God lives. He walks on the pages of this book, and we can meet him by focusing our attention on his word. What it is, what it says, and what it does. And you're like, man, that's really cool, right? That's awesome. However, I, I don't think that's for me. I have a hard time paying attention. And you know, I didn't go to seminary. There's a lot of like deep stuff you're talking about. That's not for me. I just want to point your attention to the beginning of Psalm 1, all right? Blessed is the seminary professor who doesn't walk in step with the wicked. No, oh, excuse me. Blessed is the pastor. No, hang on. I'm still struggling to get that word. Blessed is the, the spiritual guru. No, it doesn't say that. Blessed is the one. Blessed is the person. 
Blessed is the average Joe or Joina, Joanne, right? Blessed is the person. This is an invitation for everyone to discover Jesus and find their place in his story. This is an invitation for everybody. We can be a people who meditate on Scripture. And that's how the Bible was designed to be written, all right? We're going to leave Psalm 1 for a second. This is Psalm 119. It's a meditation on Scripture, but this is what the psalmist says. Oh, how I love your law. I what? I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. That's really cool. When we meditate on Scripture, we get wise. Wiser than people trying to destroy us. That's neat. That'd be helpful around the office. What about this, though? I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders. Here's what it's saying, right? You can become wiser and should become wiser than me. The teachers, elders, I need to be working myself out of a job. This is not this select few get to do this practice, and then everybody else just feed off of the select few doing that. We are trying to learn together how to be people who God's word just reverberates around in our hearts and minds, right? The way the Bible was written, it communicates just like how you and I talk. Back to Psalm 1 for a second, right? Blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night, right? You're like, wait, there's a lot you skipped there. Just a second. When the Bible, there's a not. So he's blessed is the one who doesn't do all these things, but who does do all these things. All right. You, you and I communicate like this. Let's say you're like, hey, I don't want to give you a hundred dollars. I want to give you a hundred thousand dollars. Whoa. Right. Hey, you've done such a great job at work. We're not going to give you two weeks vacation. We're going to give you two months vacation. Whoa. Right. Don't parse apart two weeks. Well, why would it be two? No, they're, they're saying the negative to highlight the positive, right? We're not going to give you a thousand dollars. We're going to give you a hundred thousand dollars. Like, whoa, it went from a thousand to a hundred thousand. That's so cool, right? It's exactly how the biblical authors are communicating. They don't do this. They do this. And what's the this? The, the instruction of the Lord is their delight, and they meditate on it. The Hebrew word for meditate, it literally just means to murmur. I'm in my mid-30s, and I walk a lot around Columbia, and I've just hit this phase in my life where I start talking to myself on my walk. You know, I, I do like the old man at the museum. You know, you put your arm, you grab your elbows, and you just kind of like walk around, you know, and just, I just start talking to myself. I'm just like, you know, blah, blah, blah. you know, it's kind of crazy this thing happened. And I'm like, you know, if people, that's, I don't care if I'm like that crazy guy around Columbia, like, there's this guy who walks around like an old man at the museum and talks to himself. He's just walking around, you know, it's kind of hard. I'm literally talking out loud. That's what it means to meditate on Scripture. It's like, man, like, you know, the pastor said last week that if we meditate on Scripture, it's like a tree planted by streams. So there's like a tree, and there's streams. What is a tree? A tree is like pretty solid, right? And, you know, okay, and the streams are like life-giving. And that's what it means to meditate. Meditation sounds like so spiritual, so mystical. I don't understand it. It literally just means you're talking to yourself about Scripture. Right? And we can train ourselves to meditate. All right? We live in an age where it is like, man, it is just like really hard to focus. Some of you just came back. Why did you stop talking? Right? It's hard, right? Like, you know, they, they've said, they said when I was in college that the average attention span was like 20 seconds. And now I have no idea, but I'm hearing people say it's like eight seconds. 
Whew, that's scary, right? Like, I, you know, goldfish have a speed, right? Like, they can focus for nine seconds. Like, ah, it's really hard to focus our energy and attention. How in the world? I can't pay attention to my spouse. How in the world am I supposed to pay attention to this ancient book? All right? This is really hard. How am I supposed to meditate on this? Like, yeah, it's cool. I believe you. Like, you're saying if I meditate on this, I meet God. Cool. I can't meditate on anything, though. All right? We're going to be really gracious with ourselves when we think about how to do this. All right? We're going to talk about getting whacked by Scripture, all right? Because I, you know, I, I was trying to find some cool mnemonic device. The whack, all right? We want to let Scripture whack us, okay? All right? We want to get whacked by Scripture. What in the world does that mean? All right. Whack. We're going to talk about what it means first, and then we're going to talk about how to do it. Whack stands for worship, accept, and challenge. How do you meditate on Scripture? Just remember whack. Worship, accept, challenge. So you have a passage in mind, and you're like, worship. Man, what about this passage is showing me God's wonder? Let's just take Psalm 1. You know, we've, it's already refreshed there. You're like, man, what's amazing about this passage? You know, I've kind of lived a lot of my life thinking that God wants me to get my act together. But I'm actually seeing he's, he's like a river. He's nourishing He's watering. He, I think he desires fellowship with me. Holy cow. That's amazing. That's wonder. That's worship. And if you've done that, you're, you're starting to meditate on God's word. We celebrate that. Holy cow. Right? Whack. Worship. How does this passage show me God's wonder? Man, that's so cool. Except, what does this passage invite me to receive? All right? What does this passage invite me to accept, to receive? All right? We really do believe that God's heartbeat toward us is grace. God first comes where we are, doesn't say, hey, come where I am. All right? So what in this passage, where do I see that grace? Where do I see an invitation from God to receive? Well, in here, God's talking about being a river that will make me a tree that bears fruit. Okay? Fruit, you can eat it. And when you eat fruit, it makes you alive, right? If you don't eat fruit, you die. You're like, well, I eat Cheetos. Well, this is a, this is a world before Cheetos, okay? For, this is food. This is sustenance. And it's like, man, God is inviting me to be with him and to receive life. God, help me to receive that. God, I have, this, I have all these images of you. I think, man, you're just harsh. You're trying to get my behavior in line. But actually, you're inviting me to receive life. God, I accept that. I receive that. We've worshipped. We've seen who God is. He's life-giving. We accept, I want to receive that life. What does it look like, God? I, I'm here with open hands. And then C, if we're going to really get whacked, we've got to get the C. What's the C? Challenge. What's the challenge that this text is inviting me to? How can I grow more aware of this truth today? You and I live in a world where we believe lies, all right? We don't believe that God wants us to experience life. We want to, our shame tells us to run and hide from God. We don't see him as a river that provides sustenance. We see him as a proctor that's going to give us a final exam that we're not ready for. All right? How can I grow more aware that, God, you dwell on the pages of this book, and you, and you want my fellowship. You move toward me. Man, other scriptures come to mind. You say, if, if I draw near to you, you draw near to me. God, help me to be aware that that's true, no matter what my conscience tells me. That because of Jesus... I can experience this truth today. That God, you are the, the one true creator God who desires fellowship. 
that this book isn't just about how much do you know and how much can you show off about how you know. This book really is a tool for dwelling with the living God. How can I grow more aware of that throughout the day? And as we do that, as we think whack, we start, we're meditating on Scripture. And then what happens? You've become someone who's meditated on Scripture. You got it. When you do this, don't think about, just get the word maturity out of your head. This is not about maturity. It's about maturing. All right? This is not about, I have arrived. I have reached maturity. No, no, no. I'm maturing. All right, I've been studying the Bible for a long time. Every time I read it, I'm like, holy cow, I, don't, I can't believe I didn't know that. That's so embarrassing, right? All right? We're all students. We're all maturing. If you think, like, I have to come to this place I've arrived, it's not going to be a joyful thing. It's going to be, how do I cover up that I haven't really arrived? And there's lots of different ways to, to prompt you to do this. All right? One way is you can just set a reminder on your phone. All right? We've been talking about, like, well, how do I know what to meditate on? All right? We've been talking about Psalm 1 and the meditating and rivers. All right? This is what I do. Um, I have two words from a passage that I pick. All right? Like, growing up, my dad used to, like, write verses on cards everywhere, and he'd, like, make me do it. I never got into it. I was like, cool, dad. Like, it just never was helpful. I'm like, yep. All right. And I, but now I have to remember, why did I write the words meditate and rivers on a card? Right? Oh, because I'm being invited to meditate, and when I do, I experience life. So your brain has to do some work here. If you just put two words down that really spoke to you, you're like, whoa, this is so cool. Okay, all right, yep, there was life there. There's life there again. I'm just, I'm digging that back up, all right? So I just write two words on a card, and then, you know, you can do it on your phone. You can just create a reminder, and then you just have that whack thing with you, all right? Worship. Hey, how does thinking about meditating in rivers, how does that create worship? Rivers. Oh, yeah. God wants to provide for me. He's a caring God. He's a giving God. Man, that's so good. I'm having a terrible day. I needed to believe that God does provide. It doesn't seem like he does, but his word says, I'm going to just, I'm going to choose to focus on that. Accept. How can I accept that? God, I receive your provision. How do you care for me? Just writing two words can prompt all that. Or if you write the whole verse, it just becomes, oh, yeah, I'm not going to look at that. You just write two words. Where do I find these words? Well, you can do it from here, right? Like on a Sunday morning. Hey, we talked about it. I'm going to write it out. I'm going to try to do it throughout the week. All right? Or you can do it yourself. You just, as you read Psalm 1 this week, just a goal. I'm going to write two words down that stand out to me, right? Another one you could do, this is, again, remember the Bible doesn't explain things how we want it to. Another one you can do is, why is, in Psalm 1, why does it say blessed is the one, singular, Blessed is the person, the individual, who does not walk in step with wicked, that's plural, stand in the company of sinners, plural, company of mockers, plural. Why is, why is the psalmist saying there's in, an individual, one person is blessed, who stands against a community, three communities? What's up with that? I don't know. So you just, all right, individual, plural, let me, I want to meditate on that, I want to think about it. I'm going to be that crazy old person at the mall, just walking around talking about, why is this an individual? What is that, like pointing to Jesus? I don't know. What is that? Right? And as we do that, that is dwelling with God. He meets us when we do that. Sometimes he's going to show up like a train, and it's going to overwhelm you, and you're going to need to take that walk. Other times, you're just going to have to trust he was there. All right? It's again, nobody drank milk because someone told them milk was good for them. All right? It's what does a world look like with no people who dwell with the living God. What does my office look like 
when I stop dwelling with God. Whoa! It doesn't have to do that, though. Right? I am someone who dwells with God. I'm in Christ. But, you know, for the original audience, the temple was gone. What does the New Testament say about me, though? I'm a temple. Your body is a temple. I'm the place where God dwells. And I can experience and grow in greater awareness of his presence when I meditate, when I'm mindful, when I focus my attention on what the Bible is, on what it says, and what it does. What is it? It's not a fact book. It's, it's a way that the living God chooses to dwell with his people. As we just try to put this puzzle together, he meets us. It's like a multifaceted diamond. We look through one angle, we think we know what God is like, then we can look through another angle, like, whoa! That's how we meet, know, and live with God. What does it say? It says he provides and cares for us. The psalm ends with this amazing, it sounds like bad news, but it's good. For the Lord, Yahweh watches over the way of the righteous, but the ways of the wicked lead to destruction. You're like, am I righteous? I hope so, right? I mean, have I done enough? That's not how the Bible thinks about it. You're righteous if you know Jesus, all right? And so it's like Yahweh watches over. He is familiar with your ways. Yahweh knows about your commute. He's with you when you walk the dog and it poops in my yard and you didn't pick it up. He's with you in a judgment-free way. He longs for fellowship. I may not have that same approach, but you know what? Even when your experience doesn't match with Scripture, Scripture wins. We can dwell with the living God. It says his delight, his joy, you know, if it's just like, read your Bible, it's good for you. You're going to be like, I believe that, but I'm not going to do that. It becomes a joy when we really do believe that the one true creator God desires your fellowship. The one true creator God doesn't need you or me. The one true creator God chooses to move toward us. Even after we sin, Adam and Eve sin, what does God say when he shows up? Genesis 1, what does he say? Where are you? He could have said anything, but it's a pursuit. He is desiring fellowship. Even on our bad days, when we're deconstructing like crazy, and on our good days, when we're teaching little kids Awana verses, he desires our fellowship regardless of how we behave. And we experience that when we focus our attention on his word. We experience it in rich, powerful ways. The text says that it changes us so much that we become like a tree planted by streams of water which gives fruit in its season whose leaf doesn't wither. Okay, think about that. What's the connection, remember? It yields fruit in its season. Okay, and its leaf doesn't wither. Trees, leaves wither seasonally. All right? If you look at the woods behind the church, there's all these branches sticking out of the ground with no leaves on them. Their situation, their season has said, time to go. But if we're people who dwell with God through his word, our situations and our seasons don't have to define us. We don't have to be defined by how well we get along with others, whether people affirm us and receive us or not. 
We can dwell with God, and that is not a fragile thing. And, it, and the result of that is we're a tree that's life-giving. We bear fruit. A lot of people think, man, if I'm going like, to be this person who's like meditating, like thinking, am I going to be like pulled away from life? William Penn of Pennsylvania fame said this, true godliness does, sorry, does not turn men out of the world, but enables them to live better in it and excites their endeavors to mend it. When we're people who meditate on Scripture, it makes us life-giving, so we go into our offices, we go into our hospitals, we go into our families, and we're excited to be life-giving. Now, that is aspirational oftentimes more than reality. Because when we go in excited, man, I want to be life-giving to my parents. No, nah, they don't. They're not on the same page. But we're not defined by the season. We're not defined by the circumstance. We can still stay by that river and get sustenance and be life-giving no matter what's happening around us. And it's not accidental that the symbol for what, how God describes that is a tree. A tree. We can be so life-giving that God just describes us as a tree. There was a tree once that became a symbol for many people. In October 2001, in the rubble that once was the World Trade Center, workers and rescuers were digging through it in October, and they found this charred, burned tree that had an unusual amount of green leaves attached to it. And the, 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 the workers were digging and went, oh my gosh, I think this tree is alive. All right? September 11, 2001, two planes go to the World Trade Center. A, bill, a massive skyscraper falls on this tree. A month goes by, they dig, and they see a sign of life. This tree really is alive. And so they, what they did was they removed all the rubble. It was burnt. It was charred. It was just basically like a stump with leaves on it. And they dug it out of the ground. And they airlifted it out of Manhattan to the Bronx, I think. And they put it in a nursery. And what happened was the workers built like a monument around the tree. They put these two cinder blocks representing the towers that fell. And they, they just worked to rescue that tree. And there were a lot of moments where like, man, I don't think this tree is going to make it. And so they just kept, and 10 years go by. That tree gets dug back up out of the ground, and they move it back to Midtown Manhattan. And now if you go to the 9-11 Memorial, there's a tree that's alive that has leaves growing on it that they call the last living thing pulled out of the wreckage of 9-11. The teacher who wrote this book that we, we heard all about this story in, a, kid, in a, uh, a book we read to our kids. The teacher who uh, wrote this story for children described, she was a teacher on 9-11. And she described looking out the window and just seeing the sky be black. And kids were like, what's happening? And she had to say, I don't know. Right? Nobody teaches you. Nobody teaches you on your first day of like teacher credentialing. Oh, here's what to say to kids during a national tragedy. Right? She had no idea what to say. And she lived the rest of her life thinking, man, there's just going to be this dark cloud above me. I am stuck. I am hurt. I don't know what to do. And that tree became a symbol of hope for her. Hey, if life can come out of this rubble, maybe I can be alive again. 
If a tree can give hope and relief to a person experiencing anxiety and depression in a world that doesn't work as it should, if just a tree can give hope, what can the voice of the living God do? Everything. Everything. It can transform us. It can change us. If a tree can give hope, we become that symbol of hope. When we live and dwell with God, when we start producing fruit, we say to a world that is tired, that is hungry, that is looking for relief, we say it can be found and it can be found in the presence of God. He lives and he dwells with us. The one true creator God desires fellowship. Will we walk toward the God who moves toward us? Father, Father, we face an onslaught of pressures we're not trained to handle. But we don't face it alone. God, thank you that you're with us. That it's not about just studying for a final to please an angry God. But it's about dwelling with the God who moves toward his people, who desires our fellowship. God, I pray we'd believe that. God, I pray we'd experience you. God, I pray that your, your word would move in us and create life where there's death and darkness, where we believe lies. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com. 